Evening all. That was a wonderful hymn, isn't it? Uh, but I do chuckle at times because some of the lines we sing it heartily and I wonder do we believe it at all. Hmm? All one body we, we are not divided. <laughs> but we're not in the body of Christ as it's meant to be. But I mean, we're not divided. And one in hope. I see you dropped out. Somebody dropped out one in doctrine there somewhere along the way. That was probably the wisest thing to do. But praise the Lord, that's what we're working towards, isn't it? And that's what we need to have in our focus on a convention, a united convention like this, is part of the way towards that. But I look forward to the day, and I believe it's very possible, even in our land, when the denominational tags will fall away and we will start seeing the kingdom of God rather than our own little corners. And I'm not naive to believe that that denominationalism might suddenly disappear overnight, but I think it's possible, and I believe it's desirable in the heart of God that something should transcend that so that those significances would fall away and we'd start realizing that it's Christ and his kingdom that matters. Amen. Yeah, you're saying amen tonight, that's great. We're turning to Ephesians 6. Uh, if you haven't been with us on previous nights, we're looking at spiritual warfare and specifically looking at this wonderful passage in Ephesians on the armor of God. We started off on Sunday night just emphasizing the point, though it is elementary but necessary, that there is a battle on and we need to realize the seriousness of the spiritual struggle and conflict that's going on presently in heavenly realms, but on the earth and in our lives. And uh, uh, the first step to victory, as Corrie ten Boon says, is to recognize that there is a battle on. And then last night we began to look at the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And tonight we're just looking at our feet fitted with the shoes of the gospel of peace. It's probably all we'll look at this evening because there's so much in it. But let's read. But before we read from verse 10, I want to invite you now to pray. Let's pray together. And as I have done on previous nights, I'm asking you now to pray for yourself that God might speak to you. Would you do that? It's been wonderful that God has been moving. And he's been moving in ways that I can't even share from, from the pulpit here tonight. But he's been touching lives transforming and delivering people, changing their hearts through the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And we give him glory and praise for that. But I believe he's much more that he wants to do in our midst, and we want to implore him to do that just now. And you're here tonight. You pray for yourself that God might speak to you, that this would be your night, that God would meet with you and deal with that issue or issues that have been in your life for so long and you've never been able to get the help with. God can meet you tonight if you will meet him upon the ground that he requires. So let's come and ask for him to speak into the midst tonight. Holy Abba Father, and we thank you, Father, for the Spirit of Christ, your Son, that rises within our hearts, crying, Abba, Abba, Father. We thank you that we have not been given a spirit of bondage again to fear, but thank you your Spirit is within us. And Lord, we want more of you. We want more of Christ. And we want more of a revelation of the wonderful relationship that we have entered into through the precious shed blood of the cross and the resurrection and through what it means for us to have a great high priest at your own right hand, a prince and a savior who is one of us, 
apart from sin, a real man. And Lord, we pray tonight that you will come, and I believe with all my heart that it is your heart's desire that we should enter more fully into the, the wonderful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we want to be totally impacted by the power of the good news. Lord, let us not be satisfied with some ticket to heaven when we die, but let us enter into the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ, that it will totally revolutionize our lives and, and therefore our homes and our communities, our churches, and even our country. Lord, we're not going to ask small tonight. We want you to start something in our lives this evening that would, would begin a flame that would impact farther than we could ever imagine. For you are the God who is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we ask or even think. This is the almighty God that is our Father that we ask tonight to do these things. Speak to us, Lord. Come and meet with us, we pray. We need you. And we thank you that your power is greater than the enemy. Oh, he is great. And we're not foolish to try and take him on ourselves. But Lord, we know that you are greater. You are greater. And we want to declare that again tonight and even into heavenly realms that all might know that Jesus is stronger than Satan and Satan to Jesus must bow. We want to give him all the glory tonight and all the honor in whose name we pray. Amen. Verse 10 then of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Imagine studying mathematics for a hundred years. Hmm. Uh, or for a thousand years reading the, the theories of Einstein or Isaac Newton. Uh, I imagine you'd become an expert, wouldn't you? When we consider our enemy, the adversary, Satan, the devil, you've got to appreciate that he has such an intrinsic knowledge of humankind beyond your imagination. Whatever the, the history of the earth is in years, some believe it's only 6,000, some believe it's more. I'll not get into that debate tonight. But for that period of time, from the inception of man's creation, Satan has been studying humankind, human nature. So he knows us well. He knows how we tick. Now, I know that we have different uh, personality types. Uh, we are unique as individuals, of course. There was never another you made. And yet there are general personality types, general character traits that we would have that would be common. 
Of course, you take into consideration cultures, uh, races. And so Satan, studying this throughout our history, he knows the buttons to press that will get us going. He knows the weak areas and spots in our personality, in our particular peculiar temptations that we fall before. He knows us and he understands. And that's why we, as, as Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 2, 11, we ought not to be ignorant of his devices. Now we must be careful. And I hope that you've seen that I've emphasized throughout the series thus far that we, we ought not to become obsessed with the enemy and with darkness. Our focus must be on Christ and his victory. We need to practice the presence of God, not the presence of darkness. And whilst we get a revelation of the reality, and I really am tentatively taking steps here these nights, not trying to take you farther than you can go at any stage, but if you were to get tonight a revelation of what was going on in the kingdom of darkness at this very moment, instrumental even in the lives of people gathered in this building, you would be horrified. And if you were to see it manifest and actually come out in the open, which occasionally it does, you might get a shock. And a great danger when you actually see evil manifested demonstrably is that you can become obsessed with it. That's a great danger. And yet the other danger is you are ignorant of it. Paul's very clear, we ought not to be ignorant of his devices, his schemes, lest he get a foothold over us. Lest, literally, the Greek means he overreach us and gain an advantage in our lives. Now, in any war, the intelligence core is vital. You've got to know your enemy. You need to know how he fights. And you need to have some kind of knowledge. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. And so that's our... Uh, emphasis in, in this study. We need to know our enemy to gain the victory in Jesus Christ. And it is important not to wait until the evil day comes. That's what, what Paul says. Uh, where is it? Verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having all uh, done all to stand. You see, it's no use waiting until you get some attack uh, from, from Satan or some particular crisis, a problem comes into your life or oppression or issue or temptation, and then you decide, oh, here, I better put all this armor on and get the helmet on my head and the breastplate on, on, my, on my chest and the, the girdle of truth around my waist and the shield and the sword and the shoes. That's too late. And you see, the emphasis here is we need to be constantly living adorned with this armor of God so that when the evil day comes, we are ready for battle. The more you go on with the Lord, the more you'll realize every day becomes an evil day and a day of battle. So I want you to think, and this is a slightly different aspect that I'm going to emphasize in introduction this evening. I don't think I've described the armor of God like this yet, but I want you to think of the armor of God as constant lifestyle patterns that God wants to engender in your Christian experience. You with me? The pattern, the character traits 
of our life, life conditions that God wants to establish in you. So we thought about the belt last night. He wants to establish truthfulness, utter candor and transparency in everything we say and do and are. Breastplate of righteousness. He wants our lives to be righteous or right-related to God. A rightness in our lives, our character, our actions, our dealings. And as we follow through, we'll see more. These shoes are the shoes of peace. God wants us to have peacefulness, peace of mind, peace of emotions, and, and peace in our general environment. The shield of faith. He wants us to be a believing people, a people who trust and depend upon him, not a doubtful or unbelieving, skeptical crowd. And he wants us to have the sword of the Spirit. He wants us to declare the Word of God, not just to give some kind of mental or cradle assent to it, but he wants us actually to live it and speak it out in faith. And he wants us to be praying in the Spirit also as a regular lifestyle trait every day of our existence. Now listen, I believe this is central to understanding spiritual warfare. God wants to change your life. Do you understand? That's what salvation is. And so many of us as evangelical Christians thank God for the emphasis of being born again, of repenting of our sins and believing the gospel. And we talk about being saved and converted and so on. And that is wonderful. And that is an emphasis of the Bible. But conversion is only the threshold experience of this whole life. Salvation is a life of being changed from glory to glory into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ, by God's power through grace in the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. And the armor of God is simply these life conditions that we can use to fight the spiritual battle against darkness. Sometimes I, I think that people think of the armor of God as like a spiritual toolkit that you take out of the closet when the devil comes at you in the night. You ought not to think of it like that. This is something that we're meant to wear every day so that when the evil day does come, our lives are ready and we are strong Christians to face the foe. You remember I said twice now, both evenings, that Satan has armor. And in Luke 11, it actually speaks of the strong man's armor. And the word used is panoplia, which we get panoply from, which means armor. And we saw that Satan's armor is just the opposite of all these particular traits in the armor of God. Equally, those are the life conditions that Satan wants to establish in you. Rather than truthfulness, he wants to establish deceit and lies, and he wants you to believe those. Rather than righteousness, he wants to see traits of lifestyle, sins, and habits of unrighteousness. He wants you to be out of your mind with worry and stress rather than peace in your heart. He wants you to doubt the Word of God. He wants you to be hopeless, despairing. He wants you not to live declaring the Word of God, but actually wondering, is it really true and can I build my life upon it? And he certainly doesn't want us praying in the Spirit. He wants lies, deception, strife, contention, disturbance, mistrust, suspicion of God, doubt, despair, depression. These are the things that he wants to breed in our lives as Christians, as Christians. And if you can identify with some of those life conditions, it might well be 
probably is an indication that your Christian defenses have been compromised somehow. And the devil has gained access. Tonight we're going to look at, at the shoes of the gospel of peace. You remember that Paul was probably looking at a Roman soldier, and certainly I think he envisaged the garb of the Roman's armor. And uh, these shoes, they were sort of sandals, but they weren't like, uh, you know, the Moses sandals. Maybe your granda wore down to the beach. Uh, maybe you wear them. You've been embarrassed to admit that tonight, but we're not talking about Moses sandals or flip-flops. We're talking about quite rugged, stern shoes. They were sandals, but they were more like hobnailed soles. They, they had these spikes in the bottom of them, on the sole, to give the soldier a better footing in battle. And it would also, they were so uh, sturdy that they would protect the soldier from traps that would be laid uh, to stop him marching and advancing. And they had two leather straps to secure them in place, and so these straps would be uh, wound up the lower leg about three or four times. So these were sturdy battle boots, if you like, even though they were, they were sandals per se. Now, there's two applications of this as a spiritual truth that I want us to look at tonight, and that's all we're going to do this evening as we look at these shoes. First of all, what is Paul saying? He says, just as the Roman soldier stands firm when he's fighting in battle, the Christian, if they're in the battle, and in fact every day, lest the evil day come and the enemy arise, needs to stand firm and withstand upon the finished work of Jesus Christ, upon the victory ground. That's vital. And really, you'll find I'll be repeating myself quite a bit each night because really everything that Paul's saying is the same, that it's Christ, the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking stand. It's on the basis of the victory that he's already availed for us through his death on the cross, and he cried, it is finished, where he overcame the enemy. He paid the debt of sin. He cried, it is finished. And he was buried, and he rose again victorious over the grave, and gives us now the power to have eternal life. And that power that raised him from the dead is ours, and is meant to be in us. The second application is there needs to be a readiness. These are the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. That's what preparation means. We've got to be ready to take this good news to those who need it. We've even got to be prepared to invade enemy territory and take the kingdom of God by force. Is that what we're doing? We're standing firm on the victory ground. Are you on victory ground tonight? And are you advancing into enemy kingdom with the gospel of peace? Let's take them each, one by one. First of all, this concept of standing on the finished work of Christ to withstand the advancement of the enemy. These shoes are the gospel of peace. Now let me ask you right away, personally, do you have peace tonight? Maybe you're not even a born-again Christian. You don't have peace with God. You've never been justified by faith. You've never come as a sinner to Jesus and confessed your sins and believed that Jesus died for you and asked him to save you because of what he accomplished for you at the cross. Well, tonight's your night. You do it tonight and God will meet you. He hasn't changed. He's still saving people and he's still giving peace with God. 
But you know, many Christians who have peace with God don't know anything about the peace of God. And I want to ask you this evening, do you have peace of mind? Hmm. That was sold at the market. What? Peace of mind? Peace of heart? Mental peace? Emotional peace? Do you have peace in your actions, in your behaviors? Or do your behaviors betray an anxious nervousness that shows that there is everything but peace? There's unrest. There's unrest everywhere, isn't there? A restlessness in our life. What people would give for peace. But I want to say to you this evening that as Christians, we have our own little unwritten rules at times. And I think we've drawn up uh, behind God's back our own set of Ten Commandments. I don't know whether you would agree with me on this, but um, we've got our own top ten sins. Well, I've got a hunch you may disagree with me tonight, but there's one of them, and I like to call it the Christian sin. And it's one that we have sort of sanitized and made acceptable because it doesn't seem to be as sordid and dirty as the other stuff. And you know what it is? Worry. Anxiety. There are certain forms of fear that we engage in and some of us are habitually obsessed with. And it robs us of the peace of God. But we've actually got so dependent on it that we excuse it. And we begin to use it as a crutch. And we start saying things like, oh, well, I'm a worrier. And my mommy was a worrier. And my granny was a worrier. And her mommy was a worrier too. And her granny. And we've all been worriers in our line. We're just worriers. That's the way I am. I've always been that way. And I suppose I'll never be any other way. Yeah? Well, I've got news for you tonight. Is there any Methodists here tonight? Any Methodists? Do you allow the Methodists in? Put your hand up if you're a Methodist. No Methodists. One. God bless you. John Wesley. John Wesley. I think it was John Wesley said that worry is a sin as serious as adultery or murder. See the way we admit worry. Oh, I'm a worrier. You ever hear anybody saying, oh, I'm an adulterer? Huh? Or I'm a murderer? Do you understand what I'm getting at? We've made this sin which is effectively unbelief in God. We've made it acceptable. We've sanitized it. And we don't realize that it is a satanic means to rob us of something that the blood of Jesus Christ bought for us. That is the peace of God. Do you have peace tonight? Or you're racked with fear? Are you bound with inner anxieties? Are you like a proverbial wet rag inside that's just being wrung out day by day by day, taut with worry? Is your insides like the washing machine turning round and round and round with worry? Well, it's not God's will that you should be a worrier. In fact, what is here is that you ought to stand strong in the peace of the gospel. That is the life condition that Jesus Christ bought for every Christian. Don't you be shortchanged. And that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to think, oh, this is acceptable. 
And he even tells you the lie. This is what happens. There becomes a love-hatred relationship with worry. Did you know that? You can't live with it, and you can't live without it. You get so dependent on it that, that you don't want it, and yet you would feel naked without it. You would feel actually that you weren't being responsible if you weren't worrying about yourself, about your family, about your finances, even about your spiritual well-being. That would be totally irresponsible. But actually what you're doing is you're not trusting those things to God. Well, where are you tonight? Do you know the peace of God ruling your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ our Lord? Philippians 4 talks about it. I want to tell you this is the blood right of the Christian. Remember I used the analogy, the type as we call it, from Exodus chapter 12 last night about the Passover and the Israelites were in the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt for all those years. And Pharaoh was bent on their destruction. For that matter, he's a picture of the enemy, the devil. He wants to destroy you, I said on Sunday night. In the strongest terms, the devil hates you. He wants to exterminate you, eliminate you, especially now that you're a child of God. He's got a great interest in robbing you of the benefits of the gospel of Jesus. And on the night in which the Israelites were delivered, the Passover night, remember that the death angel was going to pass through Egypt and kill the firstborn. The Israelites were instructed to take that lamb without blemish and without spot, slay it, shed the blood, pour it into a basin, take that herb, plant hyssop, dip it like a paintbrush, the branch in the blood, and paint over the doorpost and the lintel of the house, and stay under the blood, in the house. For God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over, or I will hover over you. But in fact, that passage not only promises protection, but it promised the Israelites that you will be able to eat the Passover meal in peace. Isn't that lovely? I don't know whether I can manage that, you know, the death angel moving around the place. But you know, if you had God promising you that, and he demonstrated it to you and gave you these symbols and these signs of his protection, maybe we'd be able to be given the gift of faith to grasp hold of that, and you see, God promises protection under the blood. Now, we saw, was it last evening, that obedience is a qualification of that. We must not go from out under the covering of the blood in disobedience. But we can eat our Passover. Christ is our Passover, sacrificed for us. We can feed on His flesh. We can drink of His blood. We can have communion with Him and total fellowship in the peace of God, whatever the devil's doing to us. That's wonderful. And yet, to emphasize something I pointed out last night, there's something for us to do. The Israelites had to apply the blood with the hyssop and the basin. Now, you've got to apply the blood of Jesus for your protection and for your peace. Satan wants to rob you of peace. And for some of you, he's already doing it. Would you turn with me quickly to Revelation 12, 11. Now, I'm going to show you tonight, I'm going to be very practical as much as I can to show you how to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. 
There's a wonderful verse here in Revelation 12 and verse 11. I personally believe that it does refer to a future event, but it can be applied to the whole history of Christianity and every saint of God that has known what it has been for the devil to come at them. And in verse 11, we read how these saints, and any saint for that matter, you included, will overcome the enemy. Verse 10 says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation, that's just another word for deliverance, and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they, that's the saints of God, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. We overcome the devil by the blood. Now you would say amen to that. I already knew that. You're not telling me anything new there. But what is the word of their testimony? Do you think I'd stand up and say, well, I went to Sunday school and then as a wee fella I trusted Jesus and been trying to serve more. That's given your testimony. That's not what's been talked about here. The word of their testimony that overcame the devil along with the blood of the Lamb, I believe is this. What the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. I believe what we have here is effectively like Exodus. We have the blood of the Lamb, but the hyssop, the plant that paints it on the doorpost and the lintel, is our confession of what the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. And you see, as we said last night, the Christian faith, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the coming at Pentecost of the Holy Spirit, everything that God gives us by grace has to be appropriated by faith. It doesn't come to us by default. There needs to be personal conversion. There needs to be personal Pentecost. And there needs to be personal faith protection of the blood of Jesus in this battle. So do you confess what the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for you. Do you do that? And you know what confession is? Do you know what confession is? Confession, simply put, is just agreement. It is a declaration of agreeing with God, lining yourself up with what God says about any issue. So when you confess your sins, you're just saying, yes, Lord, I agree that what I did was wrong. You're coming into agreement with God, and it's good when that's done with the mouth. But we've got to confess more than just our sins. We must appropriate the blessings of Calvary for them to be practically instrumental in our lives. Now, I'm going to show you a slide now. And it's a declaration. It was originally composed by a man called Derek Prince, Bible teacher. But as you see, that it comes directly from Scripture. And it testifies to what the Word of God says the blood of Jesus does for us. And it effectively is how to put on the shoes of peace. It's how to overcome the enemy. Look at what it says. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, continually cleanses me from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Romans 5, 9. Through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, made holy, set apart to God. Hebrews 13, 12. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, redeemed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Any Church of Ireland folk in here tonight? No, them. God bless you. We're going to be liturgical just now. 
And we're going to say this together. You see, there's power in confession. Not an empty rite and ritual, but there is power in confession when the heart means it. So let's say this together. Will you say it with me? Say it with me. Through the blood of Jesus, I am redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Through the blood of Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me continually from all sin. Through the blood of Jesus, I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus, I am sanctified, made holy, set apart to God. My body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, redeemed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Wow. See, when the devil comes against you, do you confess? I remember an old Pentecostal woman years ago, a friend of our family's, and she's still, still alive. The way people, when you were young, they all looked old. But she's still old, but she's still going. And my mother, a very simple faith, and, but she was also a warrior. Like, I'm a warrior. <laughs> but praise God, I'm getting victory over that. I was paralyzed by fear as a young man. That's part of my testimony. I'm not going into it tonight. But it can run in families. It can run in families. But she had to be saying, this old Pentecostal woman, it was this. When you worry, hold on to the blood. Hold on to the blood. I want you to learn to put on the gospel of peace. And I want you to confess. A.W. Tozer wrote a book and he, it was entitled, I Talk Back to the Devil. And I'm not suggesting you should start praying to the devil instead of God. Be careful of talking too much to the evil one. But there's something about saying, as Jesus said in the wilderness, get behind me, Satan. And we don't have power to rebuke the devil. Only the Lord has power. But we can rebuke him in the name of the Lord. I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of the Lord. And when he comes against you with accusations of things that you've done in your past, even things that you've fallen into in your present, accusations, insinuations, all sorts of condemnations. You can come and you can say this. The blood of Jesus cleanses me, Satan. Go from me now in Jesus' name. You ever do that? You say, how do I do that in the shopping queue in Tesco's? Well, you don't have to shout all over the place, but you can take it on your lips. You can say it in your head and your heart. And I'll tell you, after a while when you do say it, the enemy starts to listen. He starts to listen. One of my readings today and my, my portion of Scripture was submit yourselves unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've heard it quoted several times over these nights. The devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But that's not the end of the verse. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's the ground on which we stand. And listen, you're not trying to fight to move into that victory ground. You're on it if you're, if you're a child of God. You're standing on it. And what the devil's objective is, is to push you off it, to get you to believe that you're not in victory, to get you to believe that you have to strive, you have to struggle, you have to be triumphant and a super Christian. Listen, you've got it all now, but you've got to appropriate it. And I know there's a fine line there. Because there's another myth 
unchristian lie that has been engendered by false doctrine, and it's this. All you need to do is come to Jesus and be born again, and you get everything, and that's you. You're home in a boat. Huh? Now, I know that in Christ we have everything, and I know God potentially works everything into us. But Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We've got to work out what God has worked in. And I know we can have differences in our understanding of theology and fullness of the Spirit and baptism of the Spirit and this blessing, that blessing, the other blessing. Listen, God has multitudes of blessing for us. Unlimited experiences of His grace and His power and His Spirit. But we've got to walk in faith to realize it. And some of us are saved and stuck. Some of us, unfortunately, are saved, but the devil has us over a barrel with anxiety, fear, and restlessness. These are the shoes of peace. Peace. Does anybody know the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. Now, that's, that's a greeting in Hebrew. If you go to the Holy Land, they'll say shalom. But it means much more than just uh, our hello or bonjour in French or whatever other language. And uh, when we greet one another, we tend to shake hands. And you know the history of that gesture. The, the idea was that we were putting down arms, that we would hold a sword, we're putting it down, and uh, we, we are declaring peace. It's a message of peace. But shalom means peace, but it means much more than just the absence of warfare. The Hebrew word shalom is a, a full-rounded, fully-orbed concept of positive wholeness. You with me? Not just the absence of restlessness and distress, but a positive, holistic fullness of peace and life that can only be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful word. Let me help you understand what this means. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And nearly at the very end, verse 23. This is wonderful. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Now don't just skirt over that quickly. Who's sanctifying us? The God of peace. The God of Shalom. Now, I know it's Greek here, uh, but the Hebrew mind reading this would be thinking of Shalom as well. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. You don't sanctify yourself. Now, there's, there's a job for you to be done. You have to appropriate God's grace by faith. But he's the one who does the sanctifying. And he wants to sanctify you completely. Now, I'm not suggesting you can be sinlessly perfect in this life. But I am suggesting that there is an experience of Christianity that's far above the bog standard thing that we've just settled for in this life. There's much, much more. He wants to sanctify us completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace wants us to be holistically, and in the right sense, I'm not talking about any new age, weird and wonderful stuff. We're talking about holistically, all that we are as a human entity, spirit, that's the God-conscious part, soul, that's the self-conscious part, mind, emotion, and will, and body, that's the world-conscious part, making up the whole man or woman. He wants us to be in complete peace, spirit, soul, and body. 
Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. It's his responsibility. He wants to do it. And he has accomplished the cost, the price, the work in order that it might be done. And it's up to us to appropriate it. Listen to uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this in the message. And it's only an interpretation, but it's a very good one, I believe. Listen. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, W-H-O-L-E, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of the Master, Jesus Christ, the one who called you, is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. I love that. God wants to make you whole and holy. And here's a little secret. You cannot be holy without being whole. You see, some people, and they have a legalistic mentality, and they just go through the Bible looking for the commands that God has for them, do this and don't do that. And that's their concept of Christianity. And they are utterly defeated, first of all. The devil has victory over them in their lives, and they're becoming more and more crooked, hard to live with and difficult in the church because they're not whole, W-H-O-L-E. They're not healed. You go home and read Isaiah 61, what the Spirit of the Lord God was upon Jesus to do. And, and sin and forgiveness and, and releasing captives is part of it, but it's also healing the brokenhearted and binding up their wounds. And listen, you cannot be truly holy if you are not made whole. But equally, you can't be whole unless you're holy. Sometimes in prayer ministry, I encounter people and they just want God to fix them. They want God to fix them, but maybe they don't want to give up this part of their life that's actually damaging them. And there's some people really desperate for help. And the folk involved in prayer ministry, you need to be aware of this too. And they want to get fixed, but they're not willing to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. You have to say bye-bye to those folk. Unless you discern by the Holy Spirit, unless you discern that by being set free, they will commit their life to the Lord and they're struggling there. But what I'm trying to say is God's plan is holistic for the spirit, the soul, and the body. He wants to make us holy and whole. You see, this fall into sin, has not only broken off the relationship between God and man, it broke the relationship between man and his his wife, and man and his brother, Cain and Abel. But it also actually broke man inside. It actually caused a, a disorder and a dislocation in our own humanity so that even our spirit, our soul, and our body don't work together the way God intended them to. And God wants to bring healing to that. To make us holy. And to make us know the peace of God. Now, here's your part. And we're we're getting to the end, don't worry. Philippians chapter 4. And we were there the other night. Philippians chapter 4. And we looked at one verse, I think, in this. But I like to call this God's remedy for restlessness. Or if you want, God's medicine bottle to know peace. 
Look at verse 6, and let's take our time going through this. Only a number of verses. Be anxious for nothing. Now, please, just stop there. Right? That is an imperative command to stop worrying. Did you hear that right? Oh, but I can't. It's, I, it's all right saying that. Tell me, I can't stop it. I can't stop it. It overcomes me and, oh, I can't control it. Now, what we're talking about is a heightened nervousness, having worried for a long time. And I know it's hard to bring that down again. But the Bible teaches that we have a choice in the beginning whether to believe the lie of the devil, which effectively is where anxiety and paralyzing fear starts, when we believe and engage with a lie and sign the dotted line of faith with the enemy and say, I'm going to, I'm going to believe that rather than God's truth, what God's truth says. You can make a choice not to worry. As we said last night, you can arrest those thoughts when they first come to you. Martin Luther said you can't stop the birds flying over your, your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. Those of you who have got them tonight, you can stop them nesting in your hair. And you can't stop the thoughts that come even into your mind. Sometimes they come from the enemy. Some of them come from the heart, but many of them come from the evil one. But you can stop them getting a root. You can stop the obsessing and the ruminating of them and the dissecting of them. So stop worrying. That's what Paul says. Stop worrying. It's sin. Repent of it. Renounce it. Stop it. You might need a little help. You might need prayer ministry for issues. But you need to determine to actually own the ungodly behavior that you're engaging in and say, yes, guilty as charged, I have done that. I, I have engaged in that ungodly behavior. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Be anxious for nothing and pray about everything. Is that what you do? C.H. Spurgeon said, turn your cares into prayers. Now, be honest tonight. When something happens, when something happens, what's the first port of call for you? What's the first thing you do? Huh? Who's the first thing, the first person I should say that you contact? Who's the first text or phone call or email? If we are the friends of Jesus, that's what he said. I don't call you servants any longer. I call you friends. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Oh, what peace. What? We often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, pray about the thing. Would I tell you something? And I'm speaking from experience here. You see the energy that you expend worrying. I mean, there's some electricity in that stuff, I'll tell you. Huh? You know, when you touch, I did it today, I touched the light switch and got a, got a shock because I took my cardigan off before, you know. But if you knew the energy that pulsates, that's why you get tired, fatigued. That's why you're burning out because you're obsessing about the lies of Satan and it's draining you of your energy. But wait, think about this. That's normal human energy. The worrying is sin. But there's nothing particularly immoral, I, I believe anyway, about your exercise 
of steam that you put into that. Imagine what would happen to your prayer life. You become praying hide overnight if you turned your cares into prayers. Seriously, imagine it. And that's what Paul calls us to do. This is the remedy for, for the lack of peace in our lives. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Something else. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be thankful for anything. It's a very hard thing to practice thankfulness, isn't it? Especially if you're in a depressive store of frame, a melancholic mood, which you usually are when you're being anxious and fretful. But you know, you've got to choose to do what's right and in agreement with God, and then the tables will turn. One practice I did, and it's been scientifically proven, by the way, um, to encourage my own thankfulness, and you could do this, is before going to bed at night, and I did it maybe for about, I think about 30 days, I had a little notebook at the side of my bed and a pen. Before I went to bed every night, I wrote down three things, just three things that I was thankful for that day. And it could have been anything from somebody becoming a Christian to a nice cup of coffee that I enjoyed with a friend. It doesn't have to be anything huge. It could just be something that I was thankful for that day. Three things. And I was going to bed with thankfulness, positivity in my mind and in my heart toward God rather than the negativity. Now you try that for 30 days and you see what happens. We need to cultivate thankfulness in our prayer and in our life. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful for anything. And verse 7 says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Think about good things. Worry about nothing, pray about everything, be thankful for anything, and think about good things. Meditate about good things. Now, we, have, we get scared about meditation. We think of somebody in the lotus position humming or something like that. But true Christian meditation is, well, here's what it is. Worry is negative meditation. Now, you know what worrying is, don't you? where you obsess about something. True Christian meditation is, is doing that about the truth. Huh? Positive, truthful, honest things, godly things. Feed on those things. Think about the right things. And look at verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do in the God of peace will be with you. Do the right things. Read the medicine label, right? Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful for anything. Think about good things and do the right things. You've got to engage your will in right practices. And... Verse 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard, the word means garrison, your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That means if you do these things, God's peace, shalom, will stand sentry over your mind and over your heart, preventing the evil one penetrating. Isn't that powerful? 
but there's something for you to do. And then when we reach verse 9, once you, you think on the right things and you do the right things, it doesn't say then you'll have the peace of God. It says you'll have the God of peace. That old hymn said, The storms may roar about me, my heart may low be led, but God is round about me. How can I be afraid? This is the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's incomprehensible, so stop trying to work it out. Have you ever experienced it? When you should be in a fluster, when a real crisis comes, and all of a sudden there is that tranquility, there is that gift of God, which is the peace of God, and you've got it. And you start to worry, there's something wrong with me. Why am I not? Why am I not? Stop worrying about having no worry. That's the way I was. If I hadn't something to worry about, I would worry. The peace of God is beyond comprehension. And it's a gift. It's beyond my ken, I tell you that. But I stop trying to work it out. I just accept it and live off it. But then, quickly, and you'll be glad I'll not be spending any time, this also suggests a promptness and a readiness to take this gospel to others. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and publish peace. Listen, this is my parting shot. You need God's peace. You need healing and wholeness in Jesus Christ. But listen, it's not for you just. Huh? A lot of people want to be made whole and want to be saved and want to be well. And they want to just drain off God everything that he has to give. And he is such a giving God. And he's got more to give than we have to receive. But it's in order that we should share it. And we should bring this peace to others. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of body, peace of home, peace of community. I believe God has spoken to you tonight. Maybe this is a word from the Lord directly to you. If you do what he's telling you to do, it's something for you to do. Listen, this is your promise from Romans chapter 16. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet, your feet, shortly. Please get that. For whoever that's for, please get that. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet, shortly. Let us pray. Well, what has God been saying to you tonight? How has God been moving? Just in the the moment or two before we sing our closing hymn, would you just respond and apply the truth of God tonight? Do you need to confess what the blood of Jesus does for you? Do you need to remind yourself Take a fresh confession of that because you've been living in defeat. You've been listening to the lies of the devil and his accusations have been overcoming you. What is it? Do you need to make the choice to repent of sin, the worry, the fear, the fretfulness and anxiety? You need to repent of your ungodly behavior. And I know that it might be being empowered by the devil because you've given him so much ground in that area. But you need to own your cooperation with him and repent of that and renounce it.
Will you do that tonight? Just where you're sitting. We ask the Lord to deliver you. Some might disagree with me. I'm sure they will. But I believe the Bible teaches there's an actual spirit of fear. And I believe Christians can be party to it. But God doesn't intend Christians to have the spirit of fear. In fact, he said as much. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Would you ask the Lord to deliver you from a spirit of anxiety and fear? Maybe one that has even been a trait in your family. Will you come to the cross tonight and we ask for the, the deliverance and the healing and the wholeness, spirit, soul, and body? Maybe you've never been born again. Tonight's your night. Just come to the cross and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I ask you to save me tonight. I turn from my sins and I turn to you. Is there anyone here tonight and the devil has had one over you or maybe more than one very lately or maybe for some time and you would just acknowledge tonight just in the seat where you're sitting that you want to have dealings with God and you need to have his help tonight and you want to encounter him for your liberty this evening in this gathering, just now. Would you raise your hand just where you're sitting? Eyes are closed and heads are bowed. God bless you. God bless. Praise the Lord. There are people who are acknowledging you. Several people across the room. Is there anyone else? God bless. Now, please, you now, in this moment or two of quietness, you come to the Lord. Will you do that? Do you need words? Do you need help? Just pray with me and just say, Father, I come to you. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And I choose to believe what your word says, the blood of Jesus does for me. I choose to depend and trust in his death and resurrection. You ask him for what you need. If you need to be saved, ask him to save you. If you need to be restored and renewed, if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, ask him to fill you. Take it by faith. Believe that that's what the blood of Jesus bought for you. If you need this peace, confess anxiety to him. Say, Lord, I have engaged in the sin of worry and fear and fretfulness and unbelief. I confess it. I repent of it. I renounce it. And I ask you now to deliver me from any spirit of fear or anxiety. And I ask you now to give me your peace. Give me your peace which is beyond understanding to guard my heart and my mind through Jesus Christ. Ask him. Whatever the issue is that's blocking you and the blessing of this whole gospel of shalom, you deal with the Lord just now and come through to great liberty. Father, I just pray over this gathering and the people who are dealing with you and I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that the power of the blood of the Lamb and the mighty Spirit of God would liberate them and break the bondages of fear. We command in Jesus' name the spirit of fear and anxiety and unbelief to go from the hearts and the minds of men and women in this gathering. And I ask you, Father, that you will deposit your peace deep down into their spirits tonight. And do a work for your glory, for you alone are worthy. Amen.